Well, I'm not a crook. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I have a dream. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. It transcends the senses. This is Murder of Grey. Hello, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome to the Murder of Grey podcast. Thank you guys for joining us once again as we dive more into Spooky Month. Uh, We have a couple more episodes laid out for you guys. You got lucky. There's four Mondays this month, so we get four amazing episodes dealing with something a little bit more terrifying in ideas. So one of the big things that we like to touch on here in Murder of Grey is different philosophies and different philosophers. And most of the time, philosophy is there to help us answer some simple questions or deceptively simple, I would say, you know, little things like what is the meaning of life or even what should I wear today? What should I eat for breakfast? Am I making the right decision? You know, even looking at horoscopes can be deemed as looking at a type of philosophy or a way to expand your knowledge or live your life. But there are some philosophers that take this into a much darker realm. They look at life as a potential cesspool for horrible things to happen. (laughs) And maybe it's their upbringing that has created those situations or those mindsets. But they have developed and created some deeply horrifying ideas in the world of philosophy that we are going to be going over a few of those today. Uh, we're going to be talking about five separate philosophers with their act- their beliefs and some of the big things that they have brought to our attention, and then also bring up some different philosophies that might happen to correlate with those ideas themselves. Now, this is a very interesting topic. There might be some ideas ideas there that could trigger someone as far as life being meaningless and being very depressing and stuff like that but don't worry we're gonna try and keep it as light as possible while still reigning in the spookiness of this month itself but i don't know what this is gonna be a pretty exciting topic i, I we're actually very ex- uh, really excited about discussing these guys because this is a very fun list that we have compiled for you guys today and yeah what do you say what should we just jump right into it should we just get into some of these spooky stories these spooky ideas i want to get spookified let's get spookified let's have some fun up spookified uh stories (laughs) (laughs) all right So actually, speaking of stories, why don't we dive into a theoretical tale, something that feels like it was written in a really dark child's book, one that was meant to scare the crap out of people. Think grim fairy tales, right? So what if let's let's start painting that picture a little bit. Let's say you're sitting there in your room by yourself in the dark. Maybe you're trying to drift off into sleep and then out of nowhere, a demon approaches you and threatens to steal your soul, to put you into a very particular situation. He leans forward 
and he whispers in your ear, this life as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live once more and innumerable times more, and there will be nothing new in it. But every pain and every joy, every thought and sigh, and everything unutterably small or great in your life will have to return to you, all in the same succession and sequence. Even this spider in this moonlight between the trees, and even this moment and I myself, the eternal hourglass of existence is turned upside down again and again and again, and you with it, speck of dust. <laughs> I love this little question, this little story here. I think it's it's pretty intense, right? But mm -hmm. the underlying notion behind this idea actually comes from Friedrich Nietzsche. So Nietzsche's idea is that there is eternal reoccurrence in life. And for those of you who don't know what eternal reoccurrence is, it means that the timeline is not actually a line, but rather it is a circle. And we are basically doomed to repeat these things over and over and over again. And we will never be able to break that loop. Now, some people might say that, yes, this is true to a certain extent, um, right? When we think about history repeating itself, we have horrible situations that happen at, you know, periodically that can be related back to something that has happened in the past, or even decisions that we make in our own lives that seem to keep coming back up over and over again, showing a pattern within our own characters. And that is the framework for what Nietzsche believes. And it is a pretty scary thought. We grow up thinking that life has a tangible start and end point, birth and death. But with this mindset, if you start really, I guess, really subscribing to this idea itself, death is not the end. There is no end point. It is just the beginning of the cycle and having to relive that same exact cycle beat for beat all over again for all of eternity, that can sound pretty damning. And also a lot of people coined the idea of deja vu to this thought process as well. Since we have relived this so many times, then there's possible chance of us kind of remembering something that has happened in our past life or in a previous cycle. So it is, it is a very interesting idea. And I think once you really start like diving into it and letting your mind kind of absorb this these words this this mindset then it becomes <laughs> kind of terrifying and overwhelming to be honest <laughs> but i i don't know for me personally i think that it's just nicer to think that life is a line <laughs> so i try to avoid it as much as possible but if you really want to go down a crazy rabbit hole of confusion and mental darkness this is a pretty good way to go <laughs> I think a loop, yeah, a loop is kind of scary, but I mean, sometimes, like, it's weird. I get these feelings like, I've done this before, or like, like I, I, I know I get deja vu pretty strong sometimes. Um, a lot of times it's in dreams. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, it, it feels like I've been in this exact spot before, mm -hmm. and 
sometimes it's weird. You know, I feel like if we were to live and relive every time, you know, our life passes and we go and start anew again, it's like, would we carry the knowledge of our past life into this next loop? Granted, apparently you can't change the loop, Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering, would you be able to slightly alter it? You know, like say, you know, you were quiet in high school, you, you know, you got straight A's and you get all this and then your next loop, you know, you're super talkative, you know, you don't do great in school. Can can you switch that up? Like, it'd be interesting to be able to relive your life in the same body, but do different outcomes. Mm. Like, it's actually an idea I've had before where I'm like, I wonder what life would be like in that sense. And if it's like, okay, if we did that, like, would it be the same, you know, time frame? Like, say, like for me, 90s through, you know, 2000, hopefully 80. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, would we... Once I pass at 2080, would I be continuing from there in a new life? Which would be interesting because life would be different. Like, that would be an interesting loop. But I feel like this would be like, no, it's the same time span. It's Which, you know, it, it'd be cool to do things differently in life in a different way. But I feel like with this whole loop thing, it almost feels like like parallel universe kind of stuff, right? Like what if Mm -hmm. like this loop is going on at the same time as another loop? Like it's like as if it's playing differently. Like, I don't know. Like I've had these like ideas before and before we did this, like I didn't really know uh, about this whole eternal reoccurrence thing. Like I just kind of, it's always something I've kind of had in mind with like a loop, but to be damned to that for eternity, it's kind of, I think over time it would get pretty old, you know, especially for, well, I would say most everybody, you know, no one wants to keep living the same life over and over again. I think the big thing about the Nietzsche theory is that you have no idea that this is happening again and again and again. Yeah. So I think that's the the scary part. Like all life has been lived and you're just repeating the same exact cycle over and over and over again in this weird purgatory style of life. And yeah, I guess you can argue like the people who have been enlightened to the other side, maybe they've pierced the veil of this circle and gone and up beyond it and seen outside this timeline that they've been. Maybe that's what deja vu is. It could be, right? It could be our little peak outside of the circle itself. But that, I think that's a, like, that's a, a very terrifying thought. I would say if like, it's one thing to be living forever in a constant loop of exactly the same situations, all the joys, all the sorrows, all those things. But then not being conscious of it, just being stuck, like not knowing that never your soul knowing is stuck either. is forever. Yeah, that's a pretty a pretty daunting idea. There, I think that's pretty hell heavy. no. Yeah, hell no. 
I mean, it's weird because it makes sense. Like, there's times in your life where you're like, damn, I feel like I've done this before. Or, damn, where'd this knowledge come from? Or, mm-hmm. like, you know, you'll hear some, like, I don't know, some someone who doesn't really listen to jazz will hear a jazz song. And I'm like, damn, I've heard this before. And I know sure as hell I have not. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's a jazz song from, like, the 40s or something. And I'm like damn like this beat slaps like i know i've heard this before and it's like no i've never listened to it like yep what like yeah. where it, is that from yeah it's scary because at times it really does feel like a past life kind of thing you know like if it was like like i said earlier where it's the same timeline and you just keep repeating it i could see that too but there's times in my life where i felt like how do I have knowledge on something that I've never lived through or know? But it's like, at times I could almost feel like I connect on a personal level. Like there were times like looking at like old, like stuff from like maybe the 1600s and stuff. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like it, it, it was as if stuff clicked for me. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know anything about this time. Like why? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's weird, yeah. you know, but it, it's scary because repeating the same loop over and over doesn't sound as far fetched right as a lot of other you know afterlife ideas like i feel like this almost is more well we have so many symbols for this like the infinite knot the infinity symbol itself uh the ouroboros yep. You know, like those things exist for a reason. And maybe the people who came up with that symbology saw outside. They saw outside the loop or they were conscious of the fact that they are in an eternal loop and they just know this is going to continue happening. And this was their way of letting people know that this is it. (laughs) And nobody really listened. So Hmm. I think that's very possible. But maybe they were right all along. They probably were. But on the other hand, you know, looking at an eternal loop life in which you're not actually conscious of the fact that you're going to be living in this thing eternally might not sound too bad to some people because you don't know. This is just the life you're living and you're just going to continue living it. Now, what if we add a little bit something else? What if we add the ideas of Albert Camus? Now, Albert Camus is a very interesting philosopher. Uh, he's actually one of the biggest proponents for absurdist philosophy, uh, specifically in his book, The Myth of Sisyphus, where they have come up with the idea that all life is completely meaningless. Now, not only are we potentially living in an internal loop forever, but that internal loop forever actually has zero meaning whatsoever. And I think this is a big fear of a lot of people. Everybody wants to have some sort of meaning in life. They want to have those answers uh, as to why they are doing something or at least feel good about doing something for others or setting up something, right? Like trying to be nice or creating a good world around them, thinking that you're actually making a difference. But according to Camus, that difference means absolutely nothing, that there is no meaning to what you're doing. You're just filling time until the end comes or in Nietzsche's uh, version, until the cycle repeats itself once again. So I, I think that is a... That is a big existential idea that is very 
Like, I think that is one of the things that I have always struggled with in my life. I've always wanted to make sure that I can leave behind some sort of legacy or at least be remembered for doing something important or meaningful to somebody, even if it's just Mm -hmm. one person. But if I really let myself go into the ideas of the absurdist philosophy, then it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Go full emo kid on this one, right? (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. probably... Uh, Camus is probably the emo kid's most favorite uh, philosopher out there. Nothing matters. He invented it. Yeah, he he was the first emo. Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Now, with this whole idea of life doesn't matter and there is no meaning to it, there is actually two fundamental truths that he did write about in his book the myth of sisyphus Uh, and this is directly from the book it is this heart within me i can feel and i judge that it exists this world i can touch and i like or likewise judge that it exists there ends all my knowledge and and the rest is construction that's it the only things the only truths that Albert Camus was able to fundamentally prove in his mind uh, when trying to figure out uh, about the whole meaningless life philosophy is that I have a heart to keep me alive and I have a world in which I can stand on. And that's it. It reminds me of people that legitimately think we're in a simulation almost. You know, like... I know that this is a little bit different, but it also kind of feels the same because some people just kind of, I don't say give up, but they just, you know, they don't like nothing matters because it, they feel like they're in a program Mm. or like they have no control on life around them, which, you know, to an extent we don't have a lot of control on things that are not us, but you know, the people that do abuse that, you know, you see where it goes. People that try to exert control over others, it doesn't work out. But it's interesting because I I feel like this is an, an idea that I've looked at a lot uh, in the past. And I'm not saying that, you know, everything is, you know, meaningless and stuff. It's just, it's... I want to say it might be one of the more darker ideas we have on the episode today. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, you know, when you think about it, like, yeah, what, if, what if nothing matters, but like you said too, you always want to keep a legacy. You want to leave something behind that's just there. And that's something I've always wanted to do too. Like I've always wanted to like do something that is discovered well enough where either a lot of people remember me or even if a lot of people don't create one thing that one day, a hundred years from now, they look back for information and they're like, Oh, it was this guy, Mm -hmm. you know, like just that acknowledgement of doing something where others know my existence, it would feel good. Um, and I mean, I struggle with like, well, I really struggle, but it's more so like I know the steps to get to that. I just don't do them, you know, mm-hmm. for fear of being acknowledged. It's weird. It's like I want to be acknowledged, but I don't. But um, 
Yeah. I mean, we I, are kind of leaving a legacy with this podcast, though. There you go. I mean, that's one good thing. And I would gladly do this again in a million loops in the future. <laughs> and just keep yes. doing it over and over again. I mean, why not? Now, people who subscribe to the theory of Camus and the idea that life is inherently meaningless and that there are only two truths in our lives, one that we are alive and one that we have a world, uh, they might be so down and out and have this idea that if life is so meaningless and there is nothing that they can do to change it, there's nothing you can do to better that situation at all and actually give yourself some sort of meaning, then why are we allowing more and more people to be born into this world that has no meaning? Now, this idea here is called antinatalist, or an antinatalism, uh, it is a pretty messed up idea, in our opinion. This is the idea that it is better to not have children. They actually argue the case that having children and procreating is 100% wrong because you're bringing in children to a world in which they are inevitably going to feel pain. And I think that is a very, very dark mindset. And it is a very troubling thing to try and really wrap my head around uh, because this idea is still floating around in the world that we live in now. Actually, I would say it's even booming higher as um, one particular philosopher, David Benatar, uh, wrote in his book, uh, in his 2006 book, Better never to have been born, the harm of coming into existence. This is a 2006 philosopher. So this is our century philosopher here saying that it is better that we were never born. And he does try and make an argument as to why he thinks this way or why we should all change our mindset to match his. And this is a quote directly from his book. But it is, while good people go to great lengths to spare their children from suffering, few of them seem to notice that the one and only guaranteed way to prevent all the suffering of their children is to not bring those children into existence in the first place. Now, while as horrible and cruel as that does sound, is denying life of an individual, I mean, I guess you can say, yeah, that is true. If someone's not born, then they'll never feel pain. But you're also not giving them a chance to have a life. Because, I mean, as someone who is living, I think, let me check. Yep, still alive. Uh, <laughs> I have felt tremendous pain. I have felt tremendous heartache. I have gone through so much stuff. But those moments of happiness shine so damn bright. And they are so amazing to experience I would definitely go through that loop all over again just to relive those moments, to relive that happiness, to go through that once again. And who's to say that they are going to be living a life of pure suffering? There is no guarantee of a suffering there or, or of a child suffering forever. I mean, there, yes, there's going to be moments of hardship, but... I just don't understand this mindset. And the fact that this got a four out of five stars, <laughs> like as a review, 
makes me a little concerned about the mindset of a lot of people, especially in our generation. And you hear it a lot where people were like, oh, I don't want to have kids. And when you ask them, they don't say why. But I can't help but think now that this idea is there in their mind, that we have a lot of depressed people in our generation, right? Like we have a lot of people who ended up getting medicated growing up. So there has to be that subconscious level of them thinking, well, if I bring a child in, then they're just going to be medicated the way I was, or they're like, they're going to deal with a lot of the same issues. So it would just be better to not do that. So I don't know. I, I don't like this idea at all. It is very scary to think that this is a real idea out there and people really, really subscribe to it. So that is a, is a tough one. I'm a little scary. So as someone who just had a kid, um, it's interesting because I, for the longest time, never wanted children. And I did feel at one point like, oh, like there's already suffering. Why bring any more in? Um, and it's interesting because I, I always felt kind of like that because I'm like, yeah, I don't really, you know, I don't want to bring up a kid in this world. It's fucked up. And, but I mean, if you look up this on Reddit and there's a subreddit that has like over 160k members like it's it's a big idea right a lot of people agree to this it's more so comes down to the people that are kind of like how i viewed it where i'm like i don't judge people for having kids you know Mm -hmm. i just was like it's not for me i don't want him the world sucks but a lot of people are like you know that you'll come across on this board it's like what's interesting is this board will post a lot of photos of text walls of people saying like they regret having their children's from other subreddits. Right. Or people that are with kids complaining about people that don't have kids. And that's kind of what it comes down to is like, these people are complaining about people that have kids. And it's like a lot of the families that they talk about are pretty shitty to their children. So, I mean, it's understanding why it's like, they, I could see their viewpoint to that. But the thing is, too, is that is if you know what you're doing and you take the time to be there for your kid and at least show like that you care and that you try to help them, even if the world's in flames, you can still try to make their life better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's why with my daughter, like I... I'll be there. Like, I know the world sucks at times and, you know, but at the same time, it's like a lot of this is out of our power and would just happen regardless. You know, like if I lived in a bad situation, like if there was a literally a war happening on my doorstep and I mean like on my doorstep, I'm not going to say, oh, well, it's America. No, like I'm saying if there was a war in California, I could be more understanding of saying no kids. But right now, there's nothing really to the point where it's like, for me, where I would regret bringing a kid in this world. Yes, I know social issues are an issue, but here's the thing. You fight for those damn issues. You don't just sit here on the internet and complain about them. Like, I know this is kind of going in different ways, but like, as someone who's been around that community for, at one point for a while, just kind of listening to people, I never really like talked but i listened to people because i'm always curious like people's ideas for whatever they have and it's weird because it's like a lot of people 
it, it goes from people that are anti-kids to people that just say like, oh, these people shouldn't have kids. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, I still have to watch myself because it's like, okay, if I see a bad parent, I'm just telling myself, why did they have kids? They shouldn't have had them if they don't know how to raise them. And I understand raising a kid so far, like it can be difficult if you don't do research or don't ask for help or look things up, you know? And I like to think like, you know, if someone doesn't know something about their kid, they can Google it. But I mean, you tell someone to Google something half the time, they don't even think about it. And it's like, dude, like if you have a question about what to do, just look it up. Yeah. Don't just sit there, think you know what you're doing and then your life gets fucked up. Like for me, I can see why people don't want kids in this world. I can see the issues, especially in certain areas of the world. Like it makes sense. I can totally see why in certain parts of the world, but something that I've learned is I don't try to look down on people. I don't try to judge people for, you know, their choices, you know, like, some of these people complain about all oh, these people shouldn't have kids. Like it's just bad. And it's like, it's not your room to fucking judge. Mm-hmm. Like hundred percent, unless they're hurting their kids and yeah, they shouldn't have had them because that's wrong. But if they're not doing anything wrong then don't piss on their party, you know, it's like, it's like the same as people that were wronged by either someone of a certain race or a gender or a demographic, and then they blame everyone for that cause. It's like you can't blame one couple that was crappy to their kid and say all parents are like that because yep. were you raised like that? You know, like to me, that's that's just how I look at it. And, you know, it's like I like it's weird, but I also understand our generation, you know, I'm depressed and you know, I, there's a lot going on with me, but to an extent, I'm not going to be mad that people are having kids. It's like, yeah, that's just, people are going to have kids forever, you know, unless they all make us sterile. But I mean, it's, it's never going to change what these people think they can change people's opinions. Like if people's opinions are changed through a group on the internet, and those people don't really have much of a strong mind. You know, it's, mm-hmm. they're just like the people they're complaining about, in my opinion. Or you know, worse. it's, yeah. or worse, yeah. And I don't know. It, the, the only thing I dislike, and I'll give it a rest after this, is that, you know, say, and this goes for most other topics, that you see a post about someone and they, they, they have a regret. Or they say, man, I shouldn't have done this. And then you see someone's snarky response about saying like, oh, yeah, we were kind of stupid to even think that would work. And it's like, unless it was like really like to the point where it it could be life or death, it's like you have no room to talk. Like, okay, what makes your life so much better than this other person? You know, like. And failing is actually the most important thing to do. Go out in the world and fail a million times before you succeed once. That's the good thing to do, right? Because at least you're getting experience, you're learning from each thing, or hopefully you're learning something from each one of those failures. But yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think it's just ridiculous. And 
it's counterintuitive and doesn't help us grow at all whenever people are able to talk on the internet and say, oh, you're an idiot for thinking that would work in the first place. It's like, well, they didn't know. They might not have the experience you have. Or guess what? You probably tried the same freaking thing when you were younger and it failed. So that's why you have that experience and it's that way, right? Like it it could be something as simple as that. So I I don't know. There's a lot to dive into that one even further. It's it's like... I don't know, like some people think that, you know, it's, you know, having kids is like being like a drone in a machine, but it's like, to me, it just doesn't seem like that. Like, even when I was very, like, not wanting kids, I never, like, thought of, like, the idea of having kids was like faith based. Like a lot of mm-hmm. people, a lot of people that blame this whole like procreate, like having kids and stuff, they all kind of pin it towards religion. And it's like people having kids has gone on way longer than religion, yep. you know? And the actual original point of having a lot of kids was to help tend your farms. <laughs> exactly. So- and to do jobs and to get work done and to survive. Having children help you survive. That is the ultimate goal there. Or at least keeping your lineage alive there. So, yeah. Anyway, it's that's a whole, that's a whole rabbit hole that we can dive into and get frustrated and mad at and scream at the mountains <laughs> for all of eternity. But let's let's move on to the next bit here. So we talked a lot about Albert Camus and his idea of the meaningless life. And then we went into the anti- birth anti-birthers uh which is a big deal now but one of the things here that we can maybe take away from camus as a highlight of his idea of meaningless life is those two certainties that i spoke of a few times the fact that i have a heart that means i'm alive i have a world that means i can stand on it and live in this world now this next philosopher arthur schopener actually takes those two certainties that Camus has come up with and throws them completely out the window in his book, The World as Will and Idea. He says that even those two certainties of having a heart, which means you're alive and a world to stand on, don't actually exist. And that everything in this world is actually a construct of our consciousness. And that explains why so many people see things in different viewpoints, because the world is designed around their consciousness. And from a direct quote from his book, uh, for that the objective existence of things is conditioned by a subject whose ideas they are, and consequently that the objective world exists only as an idea is no hypothesis and still less a dogma or even a paradox proposed for the sake of discussion. It is the most certain and the simplest truth, meaning that there is no actual world. There is no tangible world for us to live in. Think matrix theory, like you brought up with Camus. This is exactly where that stems from, and that's what makes it a pretty scary idea. Uh, We could be floating ethereal souls that are endlessly bumping into each other in the vastness of space 
And when we collide, that is when we meet that other soul and they tap into our consciousness and become a part of our world, right? Like that multiverse. That multiverse idea is there. Now, this idea might not sound too terrifying to some people, but for others, and especially after The Matrix came out, this was a terrifying idea. And a lot of people freaked out about this. And it's funny that this this philosopher came up with this a long long time ago and then it took the matrix for people to remember it and be like oh my god this is just a this is a consciousness this is a construct i mean my mind is what is making this happen this is not real nothing is real nothing is tangible and it is it uh, yeah going to school with some kids whenever the matrix came out they became a little weird after that <laughs> If it is a very interesting idea, and it can lead you down a pretty dark tunnel as far as thinking this way, where not only does life not have meaning in Schopenhauer's world, but there are no truths. There are no certainties. There's no tangible world for us to even live our meaningless life. It is all our imagination, and that is it. So, I don't know. That's a very dark theory there. I don't know if I subscribe to it, but it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Now, one of the ideas that comes from Schopenhauer uh, and this idea that which the world is an intangible object is the idea of modal realism. Modal realism is a very interesting thing, and you touched on it with bringing up the idea of the multiverse. That is basically what modal realism is. And it is saying the fact that there are an infinite amount of worlds that go on in existence at the same exact time. Everything that, think about if you make a decision in which you decide to walk to work today or drive to work today, guess what? That's two separate worlds that now exist and exist in conjecture with one another based on that simple decision. And that could be a possibility in Schopenhauer's or mindset here uh, or his headspace in which we are a collective consciousness. We are just, it, everything is just constructed from our mind. So why not have that floating ethereal mind come up with multiple worlds of existence. I mean, we do it all the time, or at least I know I do. Every time I have to make a choice, I, I try and weigh out the decisions and try and speculate as to what the outcomes might be based on that choice or choices. And who's to say that that minor speculation isn't just a insight into those new worlds that are opening up based on each decision that I've made? I mean, you are so close to the fork in the road, right? Whenever you're making that decision, who's to say that you are not actually peeking into those worlds themselves? Because sometimes I can really imagine those things pretty vividly. So I, I can't help but think that this is a possibility and a very scary one on top of that. I think it's kind of interesting. And I think, you know, with all the movies and stuff that's been kind of talking about the subject a lot, it, like it, it, it really paints like a different picture, you know, like think about like, I don't say everything everywhere all at once. Cause I feel like there's better examples, but I'm like the name of a movie that I feel like was older. I feel like it was like either early two thousands or like in the nineties 
did the topic really well and I really can't remember the name of it, but I remember, I remember it was, I think more like parallel universe kind of stuff, but to an extent, I mean, that's kind of the same thing. It's just, instead of a parallel, it's like more than just another one, you know? And Mm -hmm. I always found the idea interesting. I just never really, I don't say I never really got the point of, why it's a big deal because it's not like we can really do anything with it or it's like like at least with you know the eternal uh the first one we talked about the eternal reoccurrence you know it 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 could seem more realistic whereas like a multiverse situation it's not like we'll randomly bump into our other self possibly and notice it Mm -hmm. i mean there are times where i feel like a weird connection to something and i feel like i don't know i mean i don't even want to say like oh i'll feel like oh like i know something i didn't know before for like an hour and then i'll just totally forget it later but it's like i don't know it's weird i i think the idea of a, a multiverse kind of like life or whatever you want to call it i think the idea is interesting i'm curious what would happen if they collided Mm. you know like it's something i I, i'm really interested in i mean i'm gonna go back to everything everywhere is like theirs was like in a way that was kind of different like i never really like thought of it combining the way it did you know like i'm thinking like oh it's kind of interesting how you reawaken different like branches of your self in the multiverse and it's like that's an interesting idea you know because imagine if you could experience life in these other universes like that's kind of cool but i don't know at the same time it's just like for me it i it would use up less headspace than, say, eternal recurrence, where I'm thinking, like, oh, yeah, I've probably been in this situation before. Like, I don't know. To me, like, the multiverse is cool, but I don't... It's not like I sit there and think, like, yeah, it's really going on, you know? Right. Yeah. It is a... It's a very interesting idea, and it is actually a lot more fun to just kind of speculate on these thoughts. It, mm-hmm. It's more of a really cool thought experiment. I, but I could see why people might be a little concerned and terrified about it. I mean, especially if you start stacking these guys and start really thinking about it in this order here where we have our infinite loop of Nietzsche and then all of a sudden life is meaningless. There really is nothing to it. And then all of a sudden, here we go with Schopenhauer and there is no actual world in which we are living and looping in that has no meaning whatsoever. So there's just nothingness. It's a it's a dark, it could be a dark way to try and look at it and kind of speculate on each one of these people here. So the thing is here, as we are attempting to dive through these different philosophers and break down their overall ideas as to the meaninglessness of life or the infinite loop that we have to consider constantly go about there's one thing that 
they have not touched on or are not thinking about, at least, or not mentioning in their writings. And that is our own mortality. Now, Ernest Becker, who's another philosopher, who wrote the book The Denial of Death, actually tackled the idea or the paradox that he calls it of humanity. And it is a very interesting idea. I really do find this very, very um, striking, honestly, uh, where he he claims that man is disconnected from nature and separated from the animals as being above them, right? Because we treat them as cattle, as food and things like that. But at the same time, we are nothing more than an animal ourselves. And in a quote from his book, uh, man is a worm and food for worms. This is the paradox. He is out of nature and hopelessly in it. He is dual up in the stars and yet housed in a heart pumping, breath gasping body that once belonged to a fish and still carries the gill marks to prove it. <laughs> now, the gill marks thing and being Where? a fish, I don't know about that. But <laughs> yeah, where's my gills? I can't breathe underwater. <laughs> they lied to me. I I wanted to be a fish, goddamn, and I'm a human. <laughs> yeah, it's so it is a very interesting idea, but it is something that I have definitely thought about in the past. Where I, I really like that idea of man is a worm and food for worms. Saying man is an animal, but also food for animals in the end. And so we constantly think that we are above, but at the same time. We are on the same level. We are dual. We are ever, we are both things at exactly the same time, no matter what we do. And Becker argued that we have created entire religions and societies merely for us to be able to live with this horrible paradox. In another quote from his book, uh, everything that man does in his symbolic world is an attempt to deny and overcome his grotesque fate. He literally drives himself into a blind obliviousness with social games, psychological tricks, personal preoccupa or preoccupations so far removed from the reality of his situation that they are forms of madness. Now, that, madness. that is a very interesting idea there, I think. Mm -hmm. The fact that we are filling our lives with religion, with social situations, with politics, with even the ideas of philosophy themselves, just to distract ourselves from this duality of man, from this idea that we are more but nothing at the same exact time. And I think that is a tough thing to kind of swallow, right? It's a, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a tough idea to really try and take in when you really think about it. It's like, well, now I'm a man. I, I'm a human. I can, I can build great skyscrapers. I can till the land and grow whatever the hell I want, wherever the hell I want. I can travel the world. I can fly farther than any bird and all this, right? Like, there's all of these ideas of how great we are. But when you break it down, we are no better than animals themselves. We can just talk and we can think for ourselves. But who's to say that animals don't have their own versions of mortality as well? We just don't give them a chance to speak up <laughs> or don't listen hard enough, I guess you could say. But I, I don't know. This is a very potentially kind of a uh, this is a very interesting topic to discuss and uh, as far as the duality of humans 
what are we? Are we? Animals? I wish we could translate what our pets say to us so we can like understand them. You know? Yeah, that'd be awesome. It's like I feel like they understand us, but we can understand them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to, uh, I'm kind of glad I wasn't like born a fish though, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird concept. I it, like, I, when I, when I was reading about this one, I think this was the only one that kind of stumped me on how to think about it. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, I feel like it's not super scary. It's just kind of like thrown out of left field compared to all these other ones we've talked about. Mm-hmm. It, it is a little bit out there. I would say that. And I think the biggest takeaways maybe in the second quote of how we distract ourselves from this idea with our, mm-hmm. our distractions, right? With our day-to-day lives themselves. And the fact that he used this to argue against religion very heavily Uh, because he said that religion is just another distraction to keep us away from the mortality in which we need to be grounded to. The fact that Mm -hmm. we are superior and inferior all at the same time. We are both at all times. And someone that might go against this idea uh, would be someone who studies or subscribes to the idea of fideism. Now, fideism is a very interesting philosophy. It's one that I would say is very dangerous. This is a very dangerous philosophy to dive into or to fully subscribe to, in my opinion. Uh, And it's also known as faithism. Uh, For those of you who might have heard that over the idea of fideism. But it is the idea that faith is independent of reason or that reason and faith are hostile to each other, and faith is superior at arriving at particular truths. Uh, this is, uh, that's a tough one. That's It's hard. I mean, there's the whole idea of separation from church and state and all that, right? But this mm-hmm. is saying that all, all rational thought means nothing if it doesn't have faith behind it. So it's kind of, that's a tough one. And this is definitely a thought process or someone could be using this as a reaction to Becker's theory, right? Like this could definitely be a a way to try and argue against it where Becker brings up the idea that religion is just a distraction from our own mortality. But then someone says that religion is actually the reason for our mortality. And your thought process there your scientific theory means nothing because it is not grounded in faith now that is tough it's an interesting like counterpoint and i mean in the end like how do we even know that far in the past i mean for me like i feel like when people bring up this kind of topic against, you know, with religion and stuff, it's just kind of like, it, I'm not going to go on like a a religious spiel right now, but it's just like, to me, I feel like, you know, it, the whole life from two people, it's just kind of like, it's hard to grasp that as being a reality. Whereas like, you know, it's, looking at religion as a distraction, it, it makes a lot of sense, 
you know, especially maybe not nowadays, right? I mean, you could still argue it's a big distraction for a lot of people, but you have to think before technology, before, I don't want to say hobbies, because that's kind of weird to think about hobbies like 200 years ago, but things for people to do, right? Mm -hmm. Or ways for people to think. Religion was a big thing, right? It it gave people something to do. It, it made them forget about their their lives. And, you know, back then, people probably thought about their lives a lot because they didn't have a lot of distractions unless you were doing a lot of, like, manual labor or working. You know, you, you have to remember, there was no TV. There was nothing. There was no phone to look at every 10 minutes. Like, it was... Mm -hmm. You were stuck with your thoughts a lot. And at that point, like, yes, there were books, there were other stuff, but religion was there to kind of, not only did it make you see life in a different way, there was usually a community with it, which then just enforced that ideology into your head, and it just made sense. Now, nowadays, where we have so many distractions, it almost seems like, I don't say unnecessary, because I mean, it, it, it. a lot of times with religion, and more so spirituality is, you know, spirituality is, is, I feel is different from religion. You know, religion, I feel like it's more so a social um, a construct, but I feel like it's, it's a social side where spirituality is more like you're connected to your higher power and people that get sided with the religion side, they kind of like lose sight of the free thinking, right? Like mm -hmm. they kind of lose this free will because they give their will to God. It's and the it's, blind faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's like, it's good to do good to others and be compassionate, but like you can be compassionate, not even ever touching a religious script or anything, mm -hmm. but a lot of people are too afraid to be with their thoughts or too afraid or don't know how to think. Mm -hmm. It's easier for others to tell them how to think yeah. for better or for worse. Yeah, it's it's sad but true, hundred uh, percent. And actually, there's a so there's a philosopher out there, Pascal, who subscribes to the idea of fideism completely. And Calvin and Hobbes made a little comic strip about it that was actually pretty great. Uh, Calvin ends up <laughs> deciding that he is going to believe in Santa Claus no matter what. And when Hobbes asked him what finally convinced him, he said that he made a simple risk analysis. I want presents, lots of presents. Why risk not getting them over a matter of belief? Heck, I'll believe anything they want. <laughs> and he goes <laughs> on to say, it's the spirit of Christmas. So it's a, it's kind of a funny little anecdote there as far as this idea of fideism and kind of breaking it down into simpler terms. But yeah, it is a, it's a, I, I think the scary thing about fideism is the fact that a lot of people really do, or really do, believe in this and they bring it into their everyday lives as far as work, government, politics, things like that. The people who are making the decisions for our country, some of them do really, really believe in this idea that 
all rational thought should be going through faith. And that is it. So now that we, we have talked about four pretty scary philosophers and about three different uh, pretty interesting and potentially terrifying philosophies. Now, the great thing about that, though, is that we have the decision or the choice itself to ignore these philosophers and philosophies and go about the lives in the which we are in, in the way that we would want to. Or do we? That is the question that Carl Jung has proposed in his book, Ion, where he actually questions the possibility of free will. He believes that we don't actually have any free will or questions the fact that or wants it proven that we do or do not. And I would say that this is a very interesting argument. It does lead very well with the fideism and the idea of faith or ignoring a faith itself. But it's what it's that idea of do we really get to make choices in our lives? Do we have any control as to what we are going to be doing next or what decisions that we should be making? Or is it already predestined for us? And is there's just no way of getting around that? Or is it outside influences that are then influencing our own ways in which we react to things? Like, is this actually our minds thinking or reacting to situations as ourselves? Or is this a construct of the world around us and how we react to these situations? And you can make an argument for both, right? But I... I don't know, the the idea of free will, I like to think that we have free will. I, I would like to believe that. I, I believe that I have the free will to make this show and talk about it with you guys. Or uh, I have the will to, you know, do a lot of things that I want to do, like go to a national park over the weekend, because why not? But what if there was something in the background that kind of made that happen without me wanting it to? where I was predetermined that I was going to do this because I am a white 30-something with a microphone. So, of course, I'm going to make a podcast. <laughs> you know, like, it, is there free will there? Or was this all written in the stars before us? <laughs> I think it's free will because I bet you the stars wrote it down that they wanted another a ramble podcast of two 30-year-olds. Yeah, no, thank you. Sorry. Sorry for all your Ramblecasts out there. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Join the uh, I didn't mean to, 30,000 other ones out there. We didn't mean to bash you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're right. I mean, like we wanted to do something different. So we chose to do something different. So I don't know. <laughs> it. I always found this topic kind of interesting because a lot of people are like, oh, it's destiny or, oh, you know, like you're meant to do great things and all this. And it's just like, I don't know, like you are in control and you can do whatever the hell you want for better or for worse. The only thing that's really stopping you to an extent is probably like money or breaking, you know, anything that, yeah, I mean, anybody can break the law. Anybody could be the next Dahmer, you know. Sure. Anybody could, anybody could be, you know, anybody if they wanted to. Like, we all have the 
possibility to do anything. And yeah, the only thing really holding us back is money. You know, like it's <laughs> the only thing like for me, like I, I truly believe, you know, like if I want to do something, I'll do it. The only thing that will hold me back or tell me no is more so my anxiety. Like it's mm, not that, yeah. you know, I think something's written in the stars. It's just for me, like, I don't know. I feel like you're here to forge your own path and there's nothing predetermined for you. Like it's just, I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird, but I, I get it. I, I've known people that really do think that, you know, their story has been written and they're just living it. Whereas I believe that we're painting a picture every day of our life and, you know, we just keep continuing every day, you know, think of like a big like, um, fresco on the wall or something. Right. And we're just every day of our life, even if our lives are completely boring as hell we're still painting this painting, mm -hmm. you know, that's just our life. It could be, you know, someone that just sits at their table all day, even though the painting will be them sitting at a table all day, that can be fine art as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's to me, nothing is predetermined. You know, there might be predetermining problems or restrictions or issues placed on you for you know either gender race you know economic uh class or you know where you live in the world like yes there's those restrictions that kind of push you into a certain box but we're in a day and age where you know your free will kind of pushes you to where you can at least try and maybe break out or do something, be a voice, do, you know, don't be like everyone else or don't, you know, someone tells you, oh, you're probably just going to grow up to be like, uh, a farmer, mm -hmm. right? Like, no, nothing is written in stone that you have to be a farmer. You can forge your own path, you know, like go to school or, you know, be a stripper you know it's your <laughs> life you do what the hell you want yeah no 100 percent agreed i i do find it really interesting that whenever you bring up the concept of free will and the people who seem or at least in my opinion or in my experience the ones who argue against the idea of free will the most are heavily religious people uh mm -hmm. and but the there's a major contradiction there which i think is kind of hilarious because there is jealousy in the Bible of the angels. The angels are jealous of humanity itself because humanity was given the idea of free will whenever they were created by God. They were given the choice to love God or not love him. And so to say that your life is predestined and all these things and you are a very religious individual and then to go against the idea of free will has always been a major weird contradiction that I seem to keep coming up against whenever I have conversations with certain people and I've always found that really funny and really interesting that like the one person that should not be arguing against free will or destiny or things like that or you know that those kind of concepts are the ones that are 
more religious than others that have that religious mindset that subscribe to the idea of fideism they should be believing in free will 100 percent because that uh, is what makes us human and what makes us different from the angels themselves the angels don't have a choice they have to love god humans don't so i always found that kind of weird and i was like okay that's a strange argument you're trying to make but keep going buddy <laughs> like it's not gonna go anywhere <laughs> i'll let you keep talking for a while it, it's yeah it, it is kind of funny to me and yeah i mean this whole idea of free will is pretty interesting and i think one person that would definitely say that we don't have free will is our first philosopher that we talked about right this idea of the eternal mm -hmm. circle, everything repeating itself in an infinite loop forever and ever with every single joy, every single sorrow, every horror, every happiness, everything repeating itself over and over and over again. And I think that is the biggest thing with the idea of free will. If you don't believe we have free will, then the chances that you do believe in the infinite circle that we're just going to keep going on this over and over again. But hopefully, while you're living that that circle, while you're going through that loop, once again, you don't think the life is meaningless that you're living, and you live it to the fullest as much as possible. So, anyway, with that, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening in in our third little installment into Spooky Month. And we hope you enjoyed some of these little bit scarier philosophical ideas. Some of the heavy hitting ones that really make you think and make you scratch your head and go, ah, crap, does life mean nothing? Maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> until next week with our next little set of uh, dilemmas and things like that and actually our closing to spooky month uh, you guys enjoy yourselves and speculate and ponder on some of these philosophical ideas that we have delivered to you today but anyway with that that's going to do it for us thank you guys so much and bye for now <laughs> <laughs>